Mary and Providence for inviting me and welcoming me to this spirit-filled worship. Thank you for your music and your prayers and your silence. I have already been blessed. What a wonderful place to be on the second Sunday of Lent. And a good early morning to those of us who remember to change our clocks. <laughs> Daylight savings time is actually kind of an interesting way to begin looking at our theme of perspective. Did you have a little different perspective this morning? Was the lighting a little different in your house? Was your dog confused? <laughs> Even the first few verses of our psalm today invite us to consider perspective. I'll always remember when I was about 12, our pastor pointed out the punctuation in the first few verses of Psalm 121, which Max read perfectly. I lift my eyes up to the hills, period. From where does my help come? Question mark. What a difference in perspective punctuation makes. Otherwise, it would read, I lift my eyes up to the hills from which cometh my help as though our help comes from the hills. We all know that our help comes from the Lord, as the psalm, rest of the psalm so beautifully explains. But how many times have you ever heard it read that way? Perspective. I was a journalism major at Carolina in college, and perspective was a key ingredient in both writing and photojournalism. There was a photographer once who was taking a picture of his young daughter as she slept in a hammock in the backyard. The shot was nice enough, sleeping child, stretched hammock, two trees, yard. But then he adjusted the lens of this 35 millimeter. Anybody have one of those? Remember those? <laughs> he adjusted the lens, he watched the light, he zoomed in. He kept zooming in. He tried several times. And the picture that emerged was this lovely close-up of his daughter's face, the light catching her hair, the weaving of the hammock evident behind her head. That was the shot, and it was perfect. But he had to zoom in to get it. On the flip side, I once visited the charred remains of a wildfire in a California forest. I was thrilled to find a small, healthy yellow flower pushing up from the ashes, and I took a picture of it up close. But the more I looked around and thought about where I was and what had happened, the more I realized that that wasn't the best shot. So I widened the lens. And the picture that emerged was this one little piece of yellow in a sea of darkness. And that was the picture. I had to zoom out to get the perfect shot. Sometimes we need to focus down on the one thing that is most important. But our gospel story today invites us more, I think, to consider the wide angle view. For those of us who do our photography on our phones, here's my grand dog. Where are you, dog? Anyway, we zoom in and we zoom out by pinching our fingers, right? We 
widen our fingers to zoom out and we pinch our fingers to zoom in. Not as much fun as playing with those 35 millimeters. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, a leader of the Jews. He comes to Jesus in the night with something on his mind. Why didn't he come in the light of day? We don't really know for sure. Perhaps it was peer pressure. What would the other Pharisees think? Perhaps that was when his meeting was over. You know, we have meetings. Perhaps that was just when he felt comfortable, coming when no one could see him. He slipped away in the night and he approached Jesus with whatever was on his mind. He began with a statement of affirmation. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. That's nice enough. He acknowledges Jesus' importance, a warm-up before he gets into his questions. You know he has something on his mind. Jesus' response must have startled Nicodemus. Jesus goes in a different direction, doesn't even wait for the question. He brings up a whole new idea. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above or born again. Nicodemus is caught off guard. Where, where did this idea of being born again come from? And what does he mean? He tries to remain engaged and he asks Jesus, how can this be possible? Would one have to return to the womb to be born again? We don't know. Was Nicodemus just trying to clarify? Was he mocking? You know, it's kind of like texts and emails. We can't read into the text his facial expressions or how he was feeling. I think he's just, he's trying to hang on and stay engaged in this conversation. So he's asking back, how, how, what do you, how does this work? And Jesus' response is so full of profound truths about spiritual rebirth versus physical birth and the mystery of the Holy Spirit blowing where it will. He takes Nicodemus' statement, not even a question, and turns it into this amazing mini-sermon about the vastness and awesomeness of God and the value of faith over fact, of believing over knowing. Poor Nicodemus is baffled. He's trying to listen and understand, but the topic has gotten bigger than he bargained for. How can these things be? He asks. And in the Gospel according to Molly version, that mm -hmm. verse reads, I don't get it. <laughs> At this point, Jesus seems to scold or even mock Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of the law and yet you do not understand these things? Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus saying what he knew to be true. We know that you are a teacher who is sent from God. But in this case, believing that fact is not enough. My chaplain supervisor at the University of Tennessee Medical Center used to say, if you say you think you know something, you probably know half. And if you claim that you know that you know, you know nothing. <laughs> I can hear him say that. His point was that facts can sometimes get in the way of truth. 
It's possible to, possible to be so attached to the things we know to be true that we miss out on insights we haven't even had a chance to learn yet. Jesus continues his teachings on the difference between earthly things and heavenly things, and we don't hear another peep out of Nicodemus. Was there more to the story that didn't get written down? We don't know. Nicodemus is kind of forgotten for us as readers because suddenly Jesus speaks a beloved verse we know by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 it's been called the gospel in a nutshell. Luther called it the gospel in miniature. It contains love and sacrifice and redemption and salvation and eternal life all in about 27 words. But even as every word is true, meant to be embraced and shared, even that one beloved verse is not enough. Jesus tells Nicodemus that we can know what we know but God's love is too big and too full of wonder and mystery for us to understand it all. We don't have to have all the answers, which is a good thing, because Nicodemus is left with his mouth hanging open and probably more questions than answers. Nicodemus is flustered by the turn of the conversation. I'm guessing this is not what he expected when he came to Jesus in the dark. We'll never know, because Jesus has gone in a different direction. And most likely, knowing Jesus as we do, it's the direction Nicodemus most needed. By the way, Nicodemus is mentioned only three times in the Bible, and all three in the Gospel of John. This is the first mention. Later, he clarifies something about the law. After all, he is a Pharisee. And the last encounter is somewhat surprising and touching. This leader of the Jews joins Joseph of Arimathea after the crucifixion to place Jesus' body in a proper tomb. Joseph provides the tomb. Nicodemus provides the traditional spices. And John 19 tells us that Nicodemus does the holy, hands-on task of preparing the body for the grave. Not your typical job for a Pharisee. What has happened in Nicodemus's heart? We only have a few verses and can only wonder about this change. A change of perspective. A new view of Jesus with a wider lens. One that includes even him. So what can Nicodemus's encounter with Jesus teach us? Perhaps that God can take our pinched understanding of God and the world and show us with the wider lens how little we really understand and how okay that really is. God is so much bigger than our limited view. Perhaps we are challenged to widen our lens, to recognize and appreciate what God may be trying to teach us. What if we began to share our faith, not with a nutshell theology, one verse, 
but with the whole encompassing, messy, rich, full story of God's love and faithfulness. Through human history, even including humanity's suffering and pain. What if we made concentrated efforts to try to walk a mile in someone else's shoes, to understand where they're coming from, to ask, as we sometimes do in the hospital, what is this like for you? And then listen. What if we sat down with someone from the opposite side of an issue and try to see from their perspective? How might this begin to loosen barriers between us as humans we may not change opinions on any subject, but our hearts could soften toward one another when we see them as our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, with ideas and concerns just like us. What if, like Nicodemus, we slip away from our usual comfort zones and come to find Jesus, even in the dark, to bring our honest questions, our doubts, our concerns, and what if we are willing to listen when Jesus answers not our original questions, but the deeper ones we didn't even realize we had, giving us a perspective we didn't even know we needed? Today, sisters and brothers, as we look through our camera lens, we are invited to spread our fingers mm -hmm. instead of pinching down. To widen the angle instead of narrowing it. To seek Jesus even under the cover of our own darkness and to listen even when he shows us something we didn't expect. Our human perspective has limits by design. We are humans. We cannot fully see as God sees for we are not God. But we can be open to one another and to new understandings. We too can allow our perspective to be changed by God for the good of the world.